Lord, uh, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Would you teach us, please? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, what is in your word. Uh, We long to see you and learn more about you and learn more about ourselves as we uh, dig into uh, your scripture. Thank you for it, and I pray that you would take what's yours and make it ours tonight, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's see. Exodus, redemption. Last week in Exodus, but Exodus has been a great book. Hasn't it been a great book? If you've never gone through Exodus before, you go, this is a great book. They get better. Okay, redemption. Uh, Question for tonight. Um, How does one draw near to God? How does one draw near to God? And you say, well, you know, 50 different ways. Okay. How does one draw near to God? There is a great analogy for us in the tabernacle. So we, New Testament priests, remember we talked about that last week? Welcome, New Testament priests. We're going to look at the Old Testament priests and their their physical journey will be an analogy for us um, as we look back for us to draw near to God. So we're going to use the pathway they walked. We're going to look at the furniture they would have looked at. They would not have understood what we understand looking back. We get to look back on it, and so we'll use the tabernacle and the priest's journey to help us draw near to God. I think, did I do a sermon on this? Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, The last, is it the last page? Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. So on the very last page is the sermon. Some of you may find it easier to use that as the guide than the rest of it, but I leave that to you. I just, you can do whatever you want. But I think we'll have some, we'll have some fun tonight and, and take a look at some things. All right, so how does one draw near to God? We're going to follow the path of the Old Testament priests and see what we can see about drawing near to God. Here's the desert tabernacle. Of course, this is a little diorama I threw together when the ice and snow. Uh, I just, I had some time one afternoon and just threw it together. Uh, This is a great little picture. Here's the pillar of cloud, and it would have turned into a pillar of fire at night, but you can see the the wall, the gate, uh, altar of sacrifice, big bronze laver. Maybe it was that big, maybe it wasn't. Uh, In here is the holy place, and then the holy of holies way back here. And so that's kind of a 3D model of what we're going to talk about tonight. Couple of general lessons from just from the structure of the tabernacle. Now these are um, these are lessons. They're spiritual lessons that come to us from the hardware. First, God gave Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle, beginning with his throne. So when you looked through Exodus 25 through 30, and he started, God started talking about the tabernacle, he started with his throne, and then he went out from there. Spiritual lesson, God works from the inside out. Wait a minute, that sounds kind of New Testament, doesn't it? God works from the inside out even in the way he describes what to make. He starts at his throne, which should also tell you his... uh, uh, So everything that the Israelites had and everything we have is a result of his presence. Everything flows out from his presence. Great spiritual lessons 
I mean, we're just looking at the, oh, well, anyway, my model, my diorama, you remember that. God works from the inside out. Second, his plans were to be followed to the letter. Over and over, there's this recurring phrase, uh, you know, Moses or the people made it exactly as the Lord had said or commanded, right? But, I mean, it's to the word, to the letter. Uh, even in, let's see, 25 verse 8 and 9, 8, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. In the book of Hebrews, we find out that this, what God showed Moses, is actually there in heaven. And he showed Moses the pattern of what's going on. And you say, what? When we get to the book of the Revelation, you're going to see all the pieces of the furniture. They get discussed and talked about because we're in the heavenly. We're taking a look at the heavenly, if you will, tabernacle, it's the temple. But God gave, God said, this is where I live. This is what I want. Make it exactly as I tell you or I won't live with you. Okay. Spiritual lesson, approaching God can only be achieved by coming the way he prescribes. You want to go see him? You have to come his way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except or but through me. Jesus is a one-person-wide door or gate. This idea that when I see God, he and I have an agreement, or, you know, when I see God, I'm going to just tell my story to him. Um, I don't think so. Everything in the Scripture tells us you come to God his way. And in the Old Testament, this is how you came. In the New Testament, you come through Jesus. You don't come through other th whatevers. This is not how you do it. So there's some lessons from the structure about God and about spiritual, uh, spiritual things. Lessons from the cloth. We talked about that last week. Remember we talked about the high priest tunic was all one piece. The covering of the tabernacle was all one piece. The Savior's coming. He says he tabernacled among us. And then they, the guards... Um, are gambling for his tunic because it was seamless, one piece. So when he tabernacled, he really tabernacled. He was the living tabernacle. Interesting, if you got to hear the sermon this morning, if you didn't, please go listen to it. It was fabulous. Uh, so many interesting things. When you, the, so here comes the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and it says, a sound, Cody talked about this, a sound of a rushing wind. Well, what if it was a sound like this? Does it remind you of anything that we've covered? Maybe in Genesis 1 or 2? What? What? God breathes life into humanity. What does he do with the valley of dry bones? blows breath into the dead bones, and what happens? They live again. He's creating a new humanity through the second Adam in the New Testament. And what does he do? He's like, what? Yeah, come on. Ugh, such good stuff. And remember, gosh, there was one other thing. I'm like, Cody, oh, 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 say this too. Oh, 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 that he didn't have time. The, um, uh, how did, um, where's my, okay, how did, remember how he got this started? Who, who lit the fire here? God. He started the fire, and you say, or this fire, right, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, is on the tabernacle, 
I'm waiting. Okay, so a tongue, uh, there's, there's a fire on top of the tabernacle. Acts chapter 2, here comes a spirit. <sighs> Tongues of fire appearing, right? Why? Because I am now the tabernacle. God lives in me, 1 Corinthians 3. I am now the tabernacle, and we together are the tabernacle, each one being stones. Okay, man, this is for free. This isn't even part of the lesson. This was just, I'm like, go, Cody, talk about this too. This is so cool. All right, we talked about these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the lessons from the priest's path. How do the Old Testament priests draw near to God physically? We're going to trace his steps, and we're going to look at it spiritually. So the lessons from the priest's path are going to divide up into three different sections. First section is the courtyard. And there are three pieces of furniture in the courtyard that we'll look at. Next, the priest would have gone into the holy place. Three pieces of furniture. We'll take a look at those. Then, once a year, he would have gone into the most holy place and stood before the Ark of the Covenant. So, how do I draw near to God? We're going to take it kind of in three big steps, and there's three pieces of furniture under the first two and one under the, one under the third. Okay? So, question, how do I draw near to God? And I've just said the, the tabernacle, a quiet time journey of drawing near, drawing near to God, from the perspective of a New Testament priest, New Testament priest, so you and me. How do we do that? We're going to start outside, and we're going to come in to the tabernacle as an Old Testament priest would have, okay? Good? All right. How do I draw near to God? Here we go. The first thing I would have seen if I were an Old Testament priest would have been the wall and the gate. And that's described in Exodus 26, 27, 36, and 38. I would have encountered this, uh, this curtain. And remember, there's all kinds of different metals and, and wood and things that they're supposed to assemble together because it all has to be uh, collapsed so that they can carry it. Well, there's only one gate to the whole tabernacle, one entry into the whole tabernacle. So if we were following the Old Testament priest, he would have, he would have just walked through that gate. How else is he going to get in? He's going to walk through the gate. We, looking back on it, as I was saying just a few minutes ago, we would see some things about this wall, this curtain, and this gate that would cause us to properly understood begin to draw near to God spiritually. First thing we would have noticed is the courtyard wall was seven and a half feet high. So, about like this. So what? The wall reminds me that no one but God could see all of the priest's work. The people outside could not see everything the priests were doing. Hmm. How about you? Some of the most crucial steps of my walk are taken where only God can see. Time spent in his word, time spent in prayer, and some acts of service. As I come and look at this wall, I'm reminded a lot of my, if you will, duties, my role is out of sight of men and only visible to God who's looking down from the top. 
How about the gate? I would have walked through the gate. We've talked about this a little bit. The gate reminds me to be grateful for Jesus' invitation to follow him. Psalm 100, verse 4. Let me turn to it very quickly. Psalm 100, verse 4. It's a familiar verse to you as soon as you hear it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, an Old Testament priest, after this psalm was written, might have said that or thought that. But we can enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise, giving him thanks and praising his name. What would I begin to do as a New Testament priest in this vein? I could begin in my quiet time devotional. I've remembered that the, the wall, that many of the things I do as a priest are outside of the, of the view of man. So I'm remembering these kind of quiet time things are seen by God. And as I come through the gate, instead of, okay, Lord, uh, my dog has a hurt foot, and you know that. Um, let me see, what else do I need to pray for? What does this remind me to pray for? And it's okay to pray for your dog. Thank him for what he's done in my life. Jesus met me where I was. He didn't ask me to clean up my life, and then he would come rescue me. He met me where I was. Thank you, Lord. I can praise him for who he is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love or in loving kindness. Psalm 103, verse 8. I can begin as I'm drawing near to God. The Old Testament priest would have come through the gate, and he would have come with thanksgiving and praise. Psalm 100, verse 4. How do I begin to draw near to God when I begin to praise him and thank him? Praise him for who he is and thank him for what he's done in my life. That's how I begin to draw near to God. So that's what the wall and the gate remind me as I'm following the Old Testament priest into the tabernacle, getting to look back on it from three or 4,000 years distance. This is what I get to see. Thanking him, praising him. There's a very interesting verse in Jeremiah and Jeremiah and the Lord are having a conversation, and he says about the people, the people of Israel. Um, Jeremiah's kind of talking to him like, why are, you, you know, why are you doing this <laughs> to the people? And he said, because they've forgotten four things. They've forgotten to thank me and praise me. Hmm? Thank me and praise me for, for my peace, for my protection, for my unfailing love and for my mercy. They've forgotten those four things. Wow. How can I include those things in my morning devotional time? Romans 5. Remember what it says that I now stand in the peace of God? Because of the finished work of Jesus, I stand in peace with God because of what Jesus has done. Could I begin a morning quiet time or an evening quiet time remembering that I'm, that's where I'm standing, not because of what I've done, not because of what I've earned, but because of what Jesus has done and invited me into? Yes, I can thank him. I can praise him for peace. How about protection? Remember what he says in John 17? I'm protecting them by the power of your name. Do you understand you were protected by the name of God? You bear the name of God as one of his child, one of his children, one of his heirs. 
You are protected. Now, does that mean, you know, I'm like Superman? No. <laughs> Spiritually, you are protected. Is that worth something? Probably a good thing to praise God for <laughs> and thank Him for. How about His unfailing love? I can't, I can hardly comprehend unfailing love. I can't even manufacture consistent love. I can't even imagine, uh, uh, manufacture real love sometimes. And yet God's is unfailing love. How about His mercy? You know the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is withholding something I do deserve. So if I was naughty and I was going to get a spanking and my dad decided to withhold that spanking from me, something I did that I deserve the spanking, he decides to withhold that punishment, that's mercy. Grace is then he gives me something I didn't deserve. So mercy, he withholds the spanking. Grace, he says, let's go out for ice cream. What? <laughs> That's something I did not deserve. So mercy is one side of the coin. Grace is the other. So if you thank him and praise him for his mercy, I'd go ahead and throw in amazing grace <laughs> as the other side of that coin. Not only has he withheld from us what we deserve. I don't, we don't get what we deserve. I don't. You go, I, I know, I, de I deserve to be on that cross. No, it, yes, but you know what you deserve and me? Eternity, which I cannot comprehend. Eternal separation and, and damnation from God. Time no longer exists. I stay there I mean, forever and ever, because there's no time, that's just where I am, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And day two is no better than day one. And, a, and year 1,000 is no different than it was on day one. And year 1 million is no different than it was on day one. There, there's no, I don't get used to it. It doesn't get better. It's bad. <laughs> And yet, this is what God has said. I took that out of my son, so I don't have to take it out on you. And there's not one cent left of debt that he has left unpaid. So when he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, there's some grace. That's what we don't deserve. Mercy, he's withheld this horrific punishment. Grace is he's given us every spiritual gift in the heavenly realms in Christ. You want to draw near to God? We aren't even through the gate yet. We're at the wall going through the gate and beginning to thank him and praise him for what he's done in our lives and who he is. An Old Testament priest would have gone through these things. We can look back on it and learn how can we draw near to God. Think, start thinking in your devotional journey about the wall and the gate. The next thing, next piece of furniture we would have run into would have been the altar of sacrifice. You know what they did there? They sacrificed the animals that we're going to learn about in Leviticus. And I don't get to God. The Old Testament priest could not come any closer to God unless he brought a sacrifice. The Old Testament worshiper could not have come any closer to God, and he didn't get to anyway, but he couldn't have come any closer if he didn't bring a sacrifice. Now God said, hey, even uh, Mary and Joseph, right, they brought two little they probably weren't pigeons, but the idea, you get it, right? Two little pigeons. Other people could bring other things. I mean, he, the Lord took care. He's like, I get it. Not everybody's the same, and they bring different gifts, but everybody's got to come with a sacrifice. That's how you come to me. You come to me through sacrifice. Some of the larger things, most people think the reason there were horns, if you see the horns on the altar, you know, these little horns, there's four of them. 
that they might have tied the animal down to burn it. Now, it, it was already dead because it had its throat slit. But they might have tied it down. Don't know why, because it's already dead. But maybe, okay. But they're going to burn it. You don't come any closer to God without a sacrifice. Looking back as a New Testament priest, the altar moves me to humble awe as I reflect on Jesus' loving sacrifice for me. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time, how much time? All time. One sacrifice for sins. The priest never got to sit down. The Old Testament priest never got to sit down. His work was never finished. This priest, one sacrifice, then what does he do? He sits down. Why? Because his work is finished. He sat down, and where does he sit down? At the right hand of God, which is where the advocate goes. The accuser is on the other side. The advocate for the defense is on the right-hand side and gets to whisper into daddy's right ear. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, how long? Forever, those who are being made holy. As you pass the altar in this little devotional journey. Here's the Old Testament priest. He would have done some work at the altar. As we look in on that, we should be reminded the only reason we can draw near to God is because of Jesus. The only reason. Not, I was particularly good yesterday, God. I'll be particularly good today. That has nothing to do with it. He says, hmm, yeah, I don't think so. Don't think so. That's not a sacrifice. Only Jesus' blood on the altar makes me fit for fellowship with God. So as a New Testament priest and I contemplate the altar as I'm walking, I should be reminded of what it cost God what it cost the Lord Jesus for me to even draw nearer to God. It was not without cost. Thank you, Lord. It's only His blood on the altar that makes me fit to come any closer. The altar also reminds me to imitate the heart attitude of Jesus, God's ultimate servant. Another familiar verse to you. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind God will accept. When you think of what Jesus has done for you, is this too much to ask? What is he asking us to do? Get on the altar. You know what the problem with living sacrifices is, right? They tend to crawl off the altar. To draw nearer to God... I'm going to have to spend a little time at the altar of sacrifice and meditate on the sacrifice that Jesus made as well as his attitude to make it the ultimate servant. Well, there's a third piece of furniture that I would walk up to and have to deal with, and that's the bronze laver. So after I did the sacrifices, if I were an Old Testament priest, not sure if it looked exactly like this. Not sure if it looked big and giant. Don't really know. But in this rendition, this is what I really like because it says something very curious in there when it's talking about making the bronze laver. It says that it was made from mirrors. 
they took from Egypt. Huh. Well, if I made this thing out of mirrors on the inside and filled it up with water, and let's assume the water was clear, what am I going to see when I look into this? Myself. Uh-oh. I have to go wash. I'm going to wash my hands, and I've got to wash my feet. Now, I was already picked as a priest, Old Testament. I was already picked as a priest. I didn't have to get myself back into that office. But what did I have to do daily or every time I was on duty? I had to take care of the dust and dirt and grime that was on my hands and on my feet. Remind you of anything? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And Peter says, hey, don't do that. <laughs> and what does Jesus say? Peter, unless I wash your, you know, unless I wash you, you got no part in me. Well, then wash all of me, Lord. <laughs> You're already clean. But you got to wash your hands and feet every day. Because there's dirt and grime and stuff that we got to deal with before we can draw nearer to God. The bronze laver is there for me to take a good, solid, biblical look at myself before I draw nearer to God and, and basically get honest with myself. The bronze laver reminds me of my need for cleansing before drawing nearer to God. A warning if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's why i got to clean my hands and feet. Promise, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's your bronze laver. You bring the dirt and grime from the day or the day before to Him. But to draw nearer to God, I'm going to have to deal with that sort of daily kind of sin. First segment of our journey is the courtyard. Three pieces of furniture. Some lessons from the courtyard. In my devotional journey in the courtyard, it's really about my attitude. I'm coming, I'm trying to draw nearer to God. And it's about, is my attitude right to draw nearer to God? Or is God my to-do list filler? Check, check, check. It's a time of transition. The courtyard is a time of transition in my devotional time. Am I ready to meet and see the king? Am I ready? You don't just get to walk up to the king any way you want. You've got to come his way. Am I ready to do that, to have the right attitude? It's a time of consecration and engagement it's a place where I sometimes just have to linger until my attitude is appropriate. Seems to me this is a place, the courtyard is a place of preparation for I draw near, as I draw near to God, or I draw near to God when I can approach Him as a humble attentive servant, as Jesus did. Got to come in through the gate. I got to pass by the altar of sacrifice. I got to cleanse in the bronze laver. Now I'm ready to take the next step forward. So in the little diorama, 
We've come through the gate. We've passed by the altar of sacrifice. We've kind of contemplated these things, contemplated the bronze laver. Now I'm going to go into the holy place, and eventually we're going to get to the holy of holies. But I'm going to go in the holy place. Now I want you to notice some things about this. There were... uh, this is kind of like a, a long room, and there were, I think, three layers of covering over this thing. Why is that important? Well, you're going to go through the, the little curtain entryway, and the first thing you're going to see is a golden lampstand. And the golden lampstand would have been on your left as you walked in. Not quite sure why, but it would have been on the left. The golden lampstand, kind of interesting. If I'm in this room that, by the way, has no windows, and it's covered with three heavy layers of, like, there was a, whether it was porpoise or whatever it was, and there was some more stuff, and uh, it's dark in that room. The only thing lighting that room is this lamp. No, there's no electricity, right? That didn't come along until later. This is the only thing lighting this dark room is this lamp. If I were an Old Testament priest, one of my jobs would have been to use the special oil and fill the little receptacles. Make sure they're burning correctly. Trim the wicks because you don't want you don't want a big flame. You know, you want nice flames. Okay. And so, if I were an Old Testament priest, I would have trimmed, uh, filled uh, that golden lampstand because it was my job to keep it burning. It needed to stay burning unless we were going to pack it up and move it. But if it's if I'm set up, the lamp ought to be burning. Curious? Revelation chapter 1. There's some kind of scary looking guy. (laughs) He's got a sword coming out of his mouth and stuff like that. And what is he doing? He starts talking about the churches as lampstands. And he starts talking about putting the oil in, trimming the wicks. And what if, what if the whole thing's just not working right? You had a little snuffer, and you put it out. Remember, that's what he says he's doing in Revelation chapter 1. We'll get there. You'll go, I think we've talked about this. Yes, we have. Remember it. Because Jesus the priest shows up in Revelation chapter 1, and he's doing the priestly job on the lampstands. But when he, now he's going to apply it to a church. That's not what it meant here. But he's going to apply it to a church because they would have gone, uh-oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> we know about this lamp, and we know about this oil, and we know about trimming the wicks and that snuffer thing. Ooh. He even says, I'll take your lampstand away. He is no one to be messed with, this Jesus we meet in Revelation, which, by the way, is the risen Christ. That's what he is now. (laughs) But he loves us. So you would have seen this golden lampstand. What does that remind me of? I'm in a dark room. This is the only light that's in the room. Pretty easy to figure out. The lampstand reminds me that I am to display His light to a spiritually dark world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. John writes, walk in the light as he is in the light. Jesus says again in Matthew, you are the light of the world. I had to adjust my attitude out in the courtyard 
I'm going to have to start adjusting my priorities and my agenda as I walk into the holy place because I'm reminded that the only light in this dark world room is the light of Jesus and the gospel. That's it. There is no other light. That's it. And it's my job to make sure that light shines brightly everywhere, all the time. That's what the lampstand reminds me, to display his light to a spiritually dark world. The lampstand is on the left. On my right would have been the table of showbread. I would have replaced, if I were an Old Testament priest, I would have replaced this bread on a regular basis every week. I would have replaced it 12. They're not exactly loaves, but, you know, kind of squished down things. And there would have been six and six. And I would have taken those, and then I was allowed to eat those, and then I have to put new bread in its place. So there's always, in a sense, fresh bread before the Lord. Curious, why is there bread in a dark room? The table reminds me that I am to feed hungry souls His Word. Who's hungry? Everyone who's living in the dark. How do they see? Only by the lamp. What do they see? The bread. What's the light shining on? It's illuminating the whole room, but it's shining on the bread. Whoa, what? I am to feed hungry souls His Word. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never never go hungry. He says again in Matthew, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The the lampstand reminds me I'm to reach. What am I to reach with? The bread, the Word of God, and one more thing that would have been in front of me, the altar of incense. What do I do at the altar? I bring special incense, and there's a little fire there, and I burn the incense, and that represented the prayers, the prayers always going up before God. So as I walk into this dark room, I believe representing the world, what's in the the dark world, the light of Jesus and the gospel, the Word of God, what else do I need to do His work? Prayer. He, what? (laughs) Go be the light of the world, feed people my bread, they'll never go hungry, and pray. Because if I don't show up to help you, you got nothing. Remember, he says something real curious, Jesus. Remember, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) Do you believe that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to pray. It would have been my job as an Old Testament priest to make sure that the altar of incense was uh, creating some smoke because that would have represented the prayers, my prayers as the priest as well as the prayers of God's people, always going up before God. So I'm reminded at the altar of incense to pray for what's most important to God What is he showing me is most important through this holy place in the tabernacle? (laughs) Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And John writes, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What do I know is at the top of His agenda. 
light of the world, word of God, through prayer. If I'm praying about these things, the light and the bread, if I'm praying about those things, I think I'm going to be right down the middle of the bowling alley. The second sort of segment of drawing near to God, some lessons from the holy place. In my devotional journey in the holy place, it's about communion. It's a time for re-catching God's kingdom vision. It's about catching His vision. Why is God, why did God come to earth? Why did He leave us here? Because there are dying people and one day He's coming to settle accounts with everyone. And He doesn't want anyone to be lost, though some will not choose Him. What are we to do? That's His kingdom agenda. That's what we're to be about. I'd rather be comfortable, Lord. Thank you. (laughs) The holy place is a time for re-catching God's kingdom vision. It's a time for putting His agenda, what's close to His heart, ahead of my agenda. It's a time for lifting my eyes and focusing outside my world toward His world. I draw nearer to God when I embrace again His kingdom causes as my own. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. If you don't know Charles Spurgeon, you can Google him. Amazing preacher from uh, 18... 50 to 1875 in London. In that day, uh, he had a church of 6,000 people, unheard of at that time. He wrote this. Uh, Well, I'm paraphrasing what he wrote. How long will I keep walking past and over dead people in my day? They are spiritually dead. How long? Well, I continue to walk past these dead people and not tell them of life. I don't like Charles Spurgeon. How long? And what's wrong with me if I can? I've needed my attitude adjusted in the courtyard. I've needed my agenda adjusted in the holy place. Once a year, now, the curtain has been ripped. Jesus ripped it. So we get to walk into the holy place, holy of holies, because that's where Jesus is all the time because of what he's done. Now, if I'm an Old Testament priest, I wouldn't have gotten to do that. So you got to pretend with me here. This is the one day of the year, Day of Atonement, which we'll get to in the book of Leviticus. I'm going to walk in as an Old Testament priest. What am I going to see? I'm going to see the Ark of the Covenant. must have been a spectacular thing to see. Uh, this enthroned between the cherubim. This was the throne of God. This is where God sat and ruled His people from the tabernacle. If I'm an Old Testament priest, um, I had the privilege of going in once a year. A legend says, again, that you tied a rope around my ankle because if God was not pleased, I would be dead and you couldn't come get me (laughs) because then you would be dead. So you tied a rope around my ankle and you would have pulled me out. (laughs) Remember, you wouldn't have heard the bells anymore. Sorry. (laughs) And you would have pulled me out. Now, there's no real record of anyone being pulled out, but legend says that that's um, what they did. Can you imagine uh, the, the... I don't know what it would have looked like. Let's just pretend it looked like smoke. If you're that Old Testament priest walking in there. That would have been a thing, a thing to behold. 
uh, you and I will get to look at Jesus face to face and not die, but live. We would go to the Ark of the Covenant and we would sprinkle blood again on the Ark of the Covenant and hopefully God would forgive our sins for another year and then He would come back in a year to collect the debt. And every year He um, passed over collecting the debt. And that's why it says in Romans 3, what happened, you know, what happened to the Old Testament saints? Well, God passed over their sins, but He collected the debt in Jesus. How was their, how was their debt paid? Paid in Jesus. Well, what about a person in 2023? Looking back, Jesus paid it. God's taking care of it. You just, are you looking this way at it or are you looking this way at it? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. What a great hymn. We would have stood in front of the Ark of the Covenant. It reminds me, the Ark of the Covenant reminds me that God is totally and completely committed to His glory and to my good. The first one I can understand, the second one I can't. Here's what John writes, He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation. Most translations won't use the word propitiation. Very important theological word. Propitiation means takes the punishment away. God is propitiated in Christ's death. He's not looking for you to say, oh, Lord, I'll, I, I'll give, you know, whatever. He's going, ah, already paid it. <laughs> and my guy's better than you, sorry. <laughs> he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Why is his kingdom program worldwide? Because he's already taken care of as many as want to say yes. And what does Peter remind us? Cast all your anxiety, all your cares on him, on Jesus. Why? He's sitting on that throne because he cares for you. He cares for you. You're not just a number. He knows your name. What else does he know? Number of hairs on your head. He probably knows some other things too. <laughs> Even down to every idle word you've ever said. He is not like us. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I love the Old Testament. Culture swings, back in the Puritan day, uh, his transcendence, that he is not like us, was the priority. His eminence, that he's like us, was down here. These days, it's this way. His eminence, he's like us. He's like my buddy. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> yes, but no. And so I love the Old Testament balance with the New Testament because you get he is transcendent and totally, completely indifferent and other than us. And yet in Jesus, he is our friend. He's our Savior. He's also our King. We got to keep these things in balance. Jesus is not just my buddy who goes, Wink, wink. Yeah, Bill. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? You're only human. <laughs> made of dust, right? I think I made you. <laughs> he does not wink at that sort of stuff. Sin is always sin to him. Mm. But the ark reminds me that God is totally and completely committed to his glory, transcendence, and my good, his eminence where he's taking care of me. It totally reminds me of both of these things, and I can't get them out of balance. i got to keep them both right there. That's what it reminds me of as I'm kneeling now in front of the Ark of the Covenant, the throne, 
where the Lord is. Amazing. Matthew 6.33. I knew a guy a long time ago. He said that was the first verse he memorized because what he really wanted was a BMW 6.33. And then he became a Christian, and he's like, oh, Matthew 6.33. And so he was happy that there was a Matthew 6.33, and that was the first verse he memorized. Remember what it says? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and... All the, rest will, all the rest will be added to you. What is his kingdom? Holy of holies, dark room, lamp, bread, prayer, and his righteousness, Ark of the Covenant. Seek these things first. I'll take care of the rest. Trust me. Hold on. Wait. I got a plan. Amazing lessons from the tabernacle. Lessons from the most holy place. In my devotional journey in the most holy place, it's about Him and my anxieties, cares, and needs. It's a place of face-to-face intimacy with God. It's a place of safety. Why safety? Because there's already been blood on the altar Rest, trust, and peace, where I turn my time, my circumstances, my loved ones, my energy, my resources, my love, my fears, my life, over to Jesus Christ. I have been in God's presence when I've left all my cares in His care. A devotional journey through the tabernacle. I draw near to God when I can approach Him as a humble, attentive servant, and that I have His Son's attitude of a servant. I draw nearer to God when I embrace His kingdom causes as my own when I embrace His Son's agenda to be the light of the world with Him, to feed hungry souls the food of His Word and pray. I have been in God's presence when I've left all my cares in His cares, in His care, and I leave with peace. I've been in His presence. How do I draw near to God? A suggestion. Use the tabernacle. Walk yourself through it. Pause at each piece of furniture and meditate on it these thousands of years later in light of what Jesus has done for us. You say, well, Bill, I can't do that behind my windshield. I know. I know. This might take me a little bit longer. I know. Maybe you can't do it every day. It's okay. Maybe try it. Just see what happens. For next time, look at that. You're off easy. Leviticus 1 through 7. Word to the wise, don't leave it till Sunday. You could just do one chapter a day, and that would probably be good. There's a lot, of, a lot of yucky detail and stuff in here. You probably want to take it, spread it out. Read Leviticus 1 through 7. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, amazing spiritual lessons that you want us to see and you want us to uh, practice. Uh, we love you. Thank you for your word. It is so rich and so deep. All eternity will not be long enough to fully get to the bottom of your word. We look forward to that day. Thank you, Spirit of God, for your great work in our lives of taking the word, helping us to understand it and to apply it to our hearts. And I pray that you would this week 
uh, not only be present with us, because it's your presence that makes all the difference, but would you also uh, let us know, because of the finished work of Christ, that you're pleased with us as your children. We love you, and we thank you, and we request these things of you this, this day, this Lord's day, in Jesus' name. Amen.